want you, if you will, this morning to take out your Bible and open to the last book in your Bible, in everyone's Bible, unless you've only got an Old Testament with you. Revelation, and I want you to, to open with me to chapter 1. We are in the midst, the fourth week of a study that I've entitled The Return of the King, about the second coming of Christ. It's really about more than that. It's concerning eschatology, the end times, the, what will happen at the end. Is this better? See, it helps. This is part of part of the lesson. I did that so that you would know it's important that you do the right things as we get closer to the end of the sermon series. But we but we have been talking about uh, about the second coming, eschatology, the end times, the events that will take place. We, we look, for instance, our first Sunday uh, at the, the last chapter of the book of Revelation, where three times Jesus said, look, pay attention, behold, I am coming soon. And that word soon means suddenly. I am coming when you're not expecting it. And when it comes, it'll happen like that. Jesus will return. Then the second week, we talked about the signs of his return. Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour when I will return. But he did say, you can know the seasons and you can know the, you can know the signs. And so we talked about the signs of the return of Jesus Christ. And I think one of the things that I discovered from that was the signs are here. The signs are, are in place. I'm not saying that he's coming this week. Uh, it would be, uh, I should, well, it would be wonderful if we if we weren't able to do that garage sale. And we were going to be right Jesus. But that's just me. But I'm just saying that he could come at any time, but it could be 10,000 years from now. But I know that he's promised that he will come and he will tell us or he will warn us, or he will reveal to us two signs along the way that, that he is coming. Signs of his coming. Last week we talked about how the end times is going to be kicked off, if you will. And that is through the rapture of the church. And we talked about the rapture. If you weren't here last week, you can get a copy of, of the message. Uh, you can look it up on YouTube and... and uh, uh, you can hear what we have to say. We talked about four different views of the rapture. That there is the rap that Jesus will rapture the church before the tribulation begins. That Jesus will rapture the second one. That Jesus will rapture the church midway through the tribulation period, at the three and a half year point. That Jesus would rapture the church at the end of the tribulation period, just prior to his returning to earth and. and and coming, all of those are taught within Christianity, uh, and uh, the Bible doesn't tell us here, here, or here. We have to surmise that for for ourselves through our study. But I think that the God does present to us the idea that there will be a tribulation. But the fourth one is that many people don't believe there will be. They, uh, I heard, I knew one pastor who taught that the trip, that the the rapture of the church uh, takes place every time someone dies. You won't find any of that in scripture, but that's what he thought. Today we're going to look at, uh, well, backing up one sentence, the rapture apparently is going to be significant in the, in the presenting and the introducing the tribulation period. And today we're going to look at the tribulation, the great tribulation, the terrible day of the Lord. Now I will tell you, just get ready. Yeah, I've told you, I've given you so much information uh, through our study so far. Get ready. You ain't seen nothing yet. All right? Today is going to be a very busy Sunday morning, so be ready. If you're a note taker, get your notes out. Have your Bible out. Open up uh, to Revelation chapter 1. We're not going to start there, but that's where I want you to be here in a few moments. As we talk about this great tribulation is, is presented to us in some detail throughout the book of Revelation. From Revelation 1 through Revelation 19 talks about things that are end times events. And we're going to try to cover 19 chapters of Revelation 
in just the short time we've got here today, that means two things. There's going to be a lot of information that's going to come. And it also means there's going to be very little information coming as far as details. All right? So I told you when we started this series, two things. One, you may not agree with everything I say, and that's okay, as long as you agree with what the Bible says. <laughs> Secondly, that we are not going to even possibly cover every thing that you believe is important about the second. It's not, a, it's not possible for us to do. So I'm going to try to hit some highlights for you. A few years back, Sue and I, uh, we went on a cruise to Alaska. And uh, we had heard good things about the Alaskan cruise. And we looked online and we thought, oh, isn't that pretty and all of these things. I want you to know we were not prepared for what we saw when we went there. It was an amazing, amazing trip, an amazing scenery. But one of the things we did, as soon as we sent them our money, and they, by the way, they do require you to send them money. <laughs> uh, but when we sent the money to them, they sent us a brochure that had an itinerary for our event. It was a seven-day cruise, and then we had three more days up in the uh, in the Denali area of Mount McKinley, that kind of thing. And it told us that on this first day, we're going to leave the fort in Vancouver at such and such time. And we're going to sail through the inner passage. And, and on day, the next day, we would land, we would port at Ketchikan. And maybe a couple days. Anyhow, they told us about all the ports that we would have along the way, and one of the things we found that each port was different vastly from the other. They warned us, they told us, now Ketchikan is in an area that where there is a rainforest. Expect rain. It's the rain, one of the rainiest places in North America is there. It rained. Uh, then we went up to Juneau, and they said, expect to see eagles. And expect, it's going to be a little bit cold when you go out to the glaciers that are nearby. It was. There were lots of eagles, and it was cold. I'm just trying to tell you, because of the itinerary that we were sent ahead of time, we knew what kind of gear to take with us. Some rain gear, a heavy coat, though all of those kinds of things that we knew we were going to need to have on that trip, because the, not because we'd been there, or not even because people were telling us, oh, when, my, when we went, this is what we experienced. That was important to us, but it was because we knew the itinerary that we knew what we should wear on such and such day, that kind of thing. Well, Revelation is kind of an itinerary through the great tribulation period. Let me define for you that tribulation period. It is the period of times that's literally in the Bible is said to be seven years long. The first half of it is called the tribulation. And it's a time of tribulation the world has not seen. But three and a half years into it, Antichrist reveals himself, and that tribulation is changed to the great tribulation, the terrible day of the Lord, the pouring out of God's wrath uh, on creation. And uh, so we're talking about that period of time, and as I shared with you last week, I believe that the the rapture of the church is going to take place before the tribulation so that believers are taken out, the elect are taken out from the, from the rapture. And when the, when the uh, uh, rapture takes place, the tribulation period begins and it ends when Jesus returns with the church and sets up his kingdom. We want to talk about that seven-year tribulation period. Now, you may, you may say, well, that's not when I think the, the rapture is going to take place, and that's fine. Uh, I'm going to, I'm preferring what I believe because I don't think I want to even be here during the first three and a half years. So I want us to look at this whole thing that we call this terrible tribulation. I think that there are two or three ways to look at this. One, it can be a horrible thing. Something that is miserable as we look at what the world is going to grow, uh, go through during this period of time. Sometimes it makes us cringe a little bit. It can be a frightening thing. It 
can be an overwhelming thing. But I really don't think that that's the purpose of giving us the, the, the itinerary or the walk through the tribulation. It's to show us the victory that Jesus has through that tribulation time. And that's the approach that I want us to, to look at this tribulation period. That's a period of time when the end comes, when, uh, when Jesus will gather his elect, the tribulation will start, and then will uh, consummate it by the return of Jesus Christ. Now, you're in Revelation, and I don't want you to, you, you're welcome to turn in your Bible if you want. I'm going to read some verses from Matthew chapter 24. I don't know if you've noticed in this video that asks, that we started off with, it asked, what did Jesus say about his return? In Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Jesus is going to have a, uh, a sermon, a teaching, a sharing, whatever you care to call it. It's, if you study it uh, in books and things like that, it's oftentimes called the Olivet Discourse or the, the discourse that takes place on the Mount of Olives. In the book of Matthew, there are three times where Jesus gives what are called sermons. There's the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. There is the Sermon on the Plain in Matthew, I think it's 13 and 14. And then there is the Sermon on the Mount of Olives in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And they are thematically fairly similar as, as each sermon goes through. Well, in Matthew chapter 24, we are we see Jesus on the Mount of Olives with his disciples and the disciples comment on how beautiful the temple is. And Jesus said, I want you to know the day's coming when all that you see out there is going to be leveled. There won't be one stone left on, on another. And the disciples are going to ask him, uh, they're going to ask him a question. Uh, in fact, I want, to, I want to read that for you. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3 says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's the question that we're really asking in our study, isn't it? Uh, when will things happen? What will be the sign of your coming, and what will be uh, the preparations, the, the, the presentation of the end of the age? They understood. I, none of them had been to seminary at this point. They understood, though, that this world had to wind down. There had to be a conclusion to it. There had to be an end. Man, if you're, if you're looking at our world today and you don't see that, You need to know that this world's headed somewhere. And if you're not careful, it'll look like it's headed for a tragedy. Because that's kind of what we're on the brink of, it seems like. But Jesus wants you to know we're on the verge of a victory Amen. through the tribulation time. Well, so they asked him that question. Um, and Jesus answered and said to them, all right, here's what you need to know. Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ. They'll deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. For these things must come to pass. Notice this phrase, but the end is not yet. These are things that are leading up to the end of the age, but this isn't the end. I don't necessarily like things like wars and rumors of wars and uh, those kinds of things of the deception of, of people but that's not the end verse 20 uh, verse 7 says for nation will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines pestilences and earthquakes in various places all of these are the beginning of sorrows these are things that are leading up to this horrible tribulation time. They will deliver you up to tribulation. They will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then, then verse 10 says, And then many will be offended 
One will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise and will deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Now, I, I want you, then I want you to jump on down in that chapter at verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world. Until this time, nor ever shall be. Now there is a, this is just a side note. If, you'll if you will take your Bible, if you want to do an interesting study sometime, if you'll jump over in the book of Revelation and open a Bible to, to Revelation chapter 6 and put it next to Matthew chapter 24, and you will see a parallel of Jesus saying these things are happening along with the presentation of Jesus breaking the seven seals on the scroll. They, they're identical as you go down through them. You remember when we started this, I said that when, when we're talking about things that are happening, eschatology, uh, things about the end times, they're different from prophecies. They're not saying, if you'll do this, then God will change his mind and do this. God says to us, here's the way it's going to end. It's not open for debate. It's not up for change. You can't vote a different plan. This is the way it's going to be. And so he can be pretty exact by saying this is going to happen and this will happen and this will happen. So we're, we're going to take this whirlwind tour through this timeline of the tribulation. And I want you to know that's all we can do today is a timeline. Introduce to you a few ideas about the tribulation. But I do believe in the next 30, 40 minutes, you will have enough, you will have more information about the tribulation than most people who graduate seminary do. Okay? Because this is one of those subjects we just kind of stay away from. This is a little bit too hairy, a little bit too scary, it's a little bit too deep for most of our minds to get around. But all we're going to do today is to, is to timeline it, to, to understand some things of, about the second coming. Now, I need you, you're, I, I asked you to turn to Revelation chapter 1 for a reason. In Revelation chapter 1, it begins the presentation of what, of how the end is going to unfold. Some of Revelation has already happened. For instance, in Revelations 2 and 3, there are seven letters that are written to seven churches. They are churches that really existed in John's day. And they have real events that were taking place. That, that, those letters have been written. Those messages have been delivered to those churches. So there's part of this that has already taken place. Some of it is taking place now. Maybe, if I'm right, the breaking of the seals on the scroll are happening now. But at some point, the scroll is going to open and the end is going to come. So let's take a timeline look at that. In Revelation chapter 1, um, we're going to see what Jesus or what John does as Jesus presents to him or prepares to present to him this message, this unveiling, this mystery. <clears throat> Bible teachers, Bible scholars, some of them will say, the last thing that has to happen before uh, the, the seal is finally broken is a prophecy, a prophesied war that Ezekiel talks about in chapters 38 and 39 of Ezekiel. This is a, that's a, an amazing chapter. It's not talking about the Battle of Armageddon. It's a war that's going to take place prior to the tribulation time. Uh, as I was studying through that this week, reading some of that, it's kind of frightening because it talks about there being war in that in that uh, book with uh, 
Russia, with Syria, with Iran, with uh, several other partners in the area as they're going to come down from the north. Do you know what is to the north of Israel? Syria. And do you know what armies are in the are in this nation of Syria right now, today, ready to do war? Russia, Iran, Turkey, and Syria. And when that nation falls, and let me tell you, it's probably propped up on toothpicks right now. When that nation falls, it could unleash a war that we haven't seen. Okay? That, most Bible scholars say that that war of Ezekiel's battle, Ezekiel's war, is the last thing that has to be, that has to happen before the rapture of the church. If that happens, the rapture of the church could ha happen right now. Are you, are you with me? I want you to see how close to the end we possibly could be. So revelation is important. It's important to know our way through it. Now, um, I, what I want you to see here is that what, what happens to John when he first encounters Jesus here, and I want you to notice with me, if you will, uh, in verse, uh, verse 17, but in the verses that lead up to that, he described what he was seeing. Remember, John is on an island called Patmos where he's been exiled. This is the latter part of the, of the A.D. 90s, about in the A.D. 95 probably. And John is the last, the sole survivor of the 12 uh, original apostles. And he's, he's alive. They tried to kill him. They couldn't do that, so they just exiled him. But while he's alone on this island, he has a vision that God reveals to him. Uh, and it's, it's the revelation that is recorded here. And John, this is the John who sat next to Jesus on the night on the, of, the, of the Passover dinner when the Lord's Supper was instituted. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved, as referred to in his gospel. John knew Jesus. John knew him when he saw him. But here he's going, he, he was there. He's going to talk about being... Uh, Familiar with the grave of Jesus. Remember, he was one of the two disciples, he and Peter, that went to the grave and saw Jesus had been raised from the dead. Uh, this John is on the island, minding his own business. And then he has this vision of Jesus Christ. And uh, he, he says, I, I, I turned and I saw a voice. This is not on the screen. But I turned and I saw a voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the candlesticks, there was one like the Son of Man. Jesus, that's the common, the most common uh, title that Jesus gave to himself, Son of Man. So he says, I turned and I saw this one that I was very familiar with, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And he goes on and he describes what he had seen. And then in verse 17, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. What he had seen was so spectacular. He'd seen Jesus in his glory. He knew him well, but now he, he knew he was dead. He had died. He saw him alive after that. He heard the promises about his return, but when he saw Jesus in his glory, it was so overwhelming to him that he fell over as if he were dead. Um, so the, I, I want you to see that as then Revelation starts to unfold, that John is going to be even more speechless, if you will. Now, let me kind of start our timeline here. And I've got some sentences that if you're a note taker, you can write down. And the words will be on the screen. I'm going to read them one time. You can look up and read them for yourself after that. All right? But there are seven things, seven statements that I want to make with regard to what John sees in this, in this tribulation period that we, you and I are studying. The first is this. 
about the tribulation. The rapture of the church launches the tribulation period. It starts when Jesus takes the elect out. Now, what has to happen for him to do that? Not a thing. Some Bible scholars say the war of Ezekiel 38 and 39 has to happen. Maybe so. But Jesus could return in the clouds to rapture the church today. This, this rapture of the church uh, is, is going to kick off the, uh, is going to kick off the events uh, uh, of, the, of the tribulation. Um, let me go on. Let me, I want to try to get all the way through this today. So let's go on to the second sentence. The second sentence that I want to, is another, this is an even longer sentence. If you, and by the way, if you're trying to write these down and you don't get them, come see me. I can show you what they are in my notes. Number two, the first major event of the tribulation period, following the rapture when the tribulation starts, the first major event of this seven-year period is going to be a treaty that is made with a world leader who will later in the, in the, in the book of Revelation be identified as antichrist okay you're familiar with antichrist we've heard it all of our lives but what is it who is it where do they come from over the course of my lifetime i have heard countless people identified as antichrist i can the earliest i can recall was after john f kennedy the president of the united states was shot that they said see he's antichrist didn't make sense to me, but because Antichrist is going to suffer a head wound. But other people have talked about it being Napoleon or Hitler or one of the take your pick of Roman emperors. All sorts of different identities have been given concerning um, this Antichrist. But here's the thing that we need to know about it. He's going to be alive during the tribulation period. Because what he's going to do is immediately when the tribulation starts, he's going to make a peace treaty, a pact with the, with the people of God that I think is going to result. And this is just my opinion. I told you I'd tell you what it was my opinion. I think it's going to uh, result in the building and the functioning of the temple on the temple mount in Jerusalem. It's going to have, to me, it's going to have something to do with that because I can't figure any other way with the, with the, Islamic world is going to allow the Jewish temple to be built right next door to their second highest holy place. Okay, so, but this, this uh, uh, Antichrist, who has not been revealed yet, he will be revealed three and a half years into the tribulation, but this Antichrist uh, is going to be able to allow things to happen, and he's going to make this treaty and it's going to look like he is this compassionate friend of God's people. But he's going to reveal his true colors. Now, last week, we talked about this in the book of, out of the book of Daniel. Remember, Daniel saw the vision of the last times as well. And in Daniel chapter, 27, uh, chapter 9, verse 27, he's speaking about the Antichrist. And he says, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, remember we talked about the 70 weeks of Daniel, that 69 of them are up until Jesus is cut off and there's one more week yet to go and that's going to be the tribulation period. And at, during this, this last week, he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. A week meaning the word literally is sevens. So uh, seven years is what he's talking about. That's the last week, uh, 70th week of Daniel. But in the middle of that week, he will bring an end to the sacrifice and the offering. And he will break his own covenant with Israel. And he will, uh, on the wings of abomination, he, shall, he will, shall be one who makes desolate. That means he's going to do something there at the temple that's going to drive the presence of God away from it. It's going to make the abomination that causes desolation. Okay? So he's going to... He's not just going to 
slack up on the on the covenant pact that he's got with Israel. He's going to break it, and he's going to break it violently, and it's going to cause the temple to no longer be able to function, to no longer be able to uh, offer sacrifice. Then it, it goes on and says, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on that desolation. Now, did you see what we said, what we saw there? This Antichrist is going, to, is going to be alive at the time of the rapture of the church. And he is going to cause a covenant to be made in Jerusalem that will do something to bring peace and function to the Jewish people because the 70th week is about them. Right? That's what this, this is, uh, the 70th week is about. Because it says when he talks about the 70th week, as for your people, this is what's going to happen to them. Daniel said that. This Antichrist is going to do is going to make this and everything's going to function pretty good for a while. Now there's going to be some things that are happening during, during that tribulation time. That is the period of the tribulation, but three and a half years in, he breaks the rule, breaks the law, breaks the covenant, and starts the persecution of of Jews and Jerusalem and, and all those things. Um, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, Now when you see the desolations taking place, spoken by the prophet uh, Daniel, uh, Judea is going to have to flee to the mountains. Jews are going to have to scatter. They're going to have to get away from there because the, the persecution is going to become very intense. Now hold on to that because in a little bit we're going to talk about when they flee, he says, Better pray it's not on a Sabbath day because you can't run that far. Better pray you're not having babies or you don't have small children or you're not sick or you're not because you need to get out of there because it's going to get tough. And that's what Jesus is talking about when the when Antichrist reveals himself. Let me give you a third sentence concerning the tribulation. And that is that the tribulation... <clears throat> is a seven-year period that starts with the rapture of the church and ends with the second coming of Christ. That's spoken about in Revelation chapter 19. Now, now that that's I want you to, to know that in this tribulation period, seven years from the time of the rapture, whenever that is, until the return of Jesus Christ, which is seven years after the rapture. Are you following my timeline to this point? Yes. Okay, good. At least one person is. <laughs> All right. Um, are you still in Revelation 1? I want you to know, I want you to look with me, if you will. Uh, remember, I read a moment ago, chapter. 1 verse 17a first part of that says when I saw him I fell at his feet as dead this is what John how John reacts when he sees the glory of, of Jesus as it's being revealed at the end times okay now if you go back up to Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 I want you to see what it says at the beginning it says the revelation of Jesus Christ are you See it there in Revelation 1, 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things concerning the Antichrist. The things concerning the troubled times that they're getting ready to go through. No, he says he wants to show his servants, his people, the things that are going to take place. He's going to reveal his itinerary. This is what he's going to do. This again, I'll say it again, is not open for debate, for discussion, for a vote. This is what God is going to do in the end times with regards to his people. And so the revelation is a revelation then of, of uh, uh, not of the tribulation, but it's really a revelation of Jesus during the tribulation and the hand of God at work and doing what? Bringing the victory of God's kingdom.
through Jesus Christ. All right, again, I want, to, I, I want you to, I, I'm so grateful for what Brian's song selections were for today about the victory that's ours in Jesus Christ because it's not about we're going to get out of here by the skin of our teeth. We're going to get out of here by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. And we're going to have victory in that. Um, so the tribulation is that seven-year period that's going to end with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, then I want you to see the fourth sentence. Once again, a longer sentence, I guess. And that is that in Revelation, in the book of Revelation, God releases a series of judgments through a series of seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. I'll just go ahead and tell you, the number seven is going to become very prominent in the book of Revelation. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. They are the wrath of God. They are the judgment of God. Those who study Bible prophecy tell us that seven is an important number because it is a number of completion. It's the number that, it, it, thoroughness. Everything that was created was created in seven days. Everything. Dinosaurs, oil in the oil field or in the, under the ground, all those things were created in seven days according to the Bible. You can choose which, who you're going to believe what some folks say or what the Bible says. I'm going with the Bible. Seven is completion. And so here in the book of Revelation, through these seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls, there is complete and thorough judgment being poured out on God's people. Now, I will tell you that the chronology of this, then this, then this, and this through Revelation is kind of hard to describe because sometimes events overlap. Okay? And sometimes uh, some of the events may take place here, but they also may take place over here. And so it's kind of hard to timeline all those things. But uh, what they're talking about here is not What's important is not necessarily the order they're in, but that they are demonstrating thorough judgment. God's not going to let anything slide. Nothing's going to get by his judgment. He is going to be thorough with it. Now, maybe we'll, uh, we'll go over some of those things in a little bit more detail. As I mentioned, we're just hitting the high spot fifth sentence that I want you to have, and we're going to spend a few moments here with this one. Revelation not only introduces to us seven seals and seven trumpets and seven uh, bowls of wrath, but it also reveals to us seven characters who will play a major part in the drama of, Re of, of Revelation 12 through 14, the great, the terrible, the great tribulation period. So, we're going to look at, there are seven people who are brought to light in chapters 12, 13, and 14. And you're probably familiar or have heard of most of them. Okay? Let's discuss them. Let's, let's look at them. The first one is the one that's called the dragon. The dragon. In Revelation 12, verses 7 through 12. We know who that is, don't we? It says in there, if you're in Revelation 12, it tells us that it is Satan, the dragon, that old serpent who has deceived and has, has uh, led this, this uh, uh, insurrection against God and God's kingdom. And it still is continuing to this day. And he's there in all of his colors in, the, in Revelation chapter 12, the dragon. The second one that I want you to see that is introduced to us, the next one, is the woman. And this is the woman who gives birth to the child. And the dragon, when the child is born, tries to kill that child because he knows that that child is going to redeem the woman. Or redeem humanity. And so the woman 
Some, some commentators will say the woman's the church. It does, that doesn't logic out to me. Because the church didn't give birth to Jesus. Jesus gave birth to the church. Brother, it's got to be talking about God's people. The woman being the nation of Israel gave birth to Jesus. The child that's going to bring about the salvation. But there's that woman and she'll show up several other times in the book of Revelation. Then there is the one that's called the beast from the sea. And I understand you're going to take my word for a lot of this. But I'm giving you these Bible references so you can look them up for yourself and see if you uh, see if I'm out there or if I'm right on. But the beast from the sea that he's talking about is going to be the one that is identified as the Antichrist. This this Antichrist in Revelation chapter 13 verses 1 through 10. Uh, he's the beast from the sea. This beast has ten crowns. He's a ruler of many nations, and uh, uh, it, it, Jesus or talks about it in Revelation was like a leopard with feet like a bear, and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. Um, and in Daniel chapter seven, the, the leopard represented the Greek Empire. The bear represented Persia, which is modern day Iran, and the lion represented Babylon, which is modern day. Iraq. Just coincidental, right? Uh, it's therefore likely that the beast is going to come out of the Middle East. And we'll learn more about that next week, okay? Uh, but we go, as you go on, we find that the dragon, Satan, gave the beast, Antichrist, his power, his throne, and his authority. Then the Bible says, that that authority was allowed to be exercised for 42 months. Revelation 13, verse 5. 42 months is three and a half years. That's when Antichrist is going to be identified, and he's going to allow to function and exercise his authority for three and a half years. But you know what's going to happen at the end of three and a half years? Jesus is going to come and it's going to be over. Okay. Victory again in Jesus um, so we have the beast from the sea the antichrist the fourth is the beast that comes from the earth and it tells us in here that this is the false prophet the antichrist is going to have his false prophet who will back up everything that the antichrist is saying and will do great magic tricks to identify himself and show See, I told you that, that this is the real deal. Follow him. And it's going to be this beast that's going to force people to take the mark of the other beast. This, this, this uh, uh, false prophet is going to force other people to take the mark of the other beast if they want to do business or commerce or say eat or live in this world, in this world of tribulation. So that's the beast of the earth. The fifth, uh, the fifth uh, ones that are introduced to us in Revelation 12, uh, Revelation 13 and 14, uh, 12 through 14, is the 144,000 witnesses. I've heard a lot of people say, I want to be one of those 144,000 witnesses. Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can't be. Because you're going to be gone. But these 144,000 are Jews. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes are going to be converted to Jesus, to become to Christianity during the tribulation period. And they are going to be faithful witnesses of Jesus. And they are going to be martyrs during the kingdom, during, or during the, the tribulation time. So you have these 144,000 that's found in Revelation 14 verses 1 to 5. John says of them, I looked and there was a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So I guess if you want to get a tattoo, that would be a good one to get. They sang a new song before the throne 
but no one could learn the, could learn the song except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. The sixth group that is introduced for us in these two in these three chapters are the three angelic announcers. There are going to be three angels that are going to fly over that are spoken of in Revelation chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. These three angels fly overhead to announce the eternal gospel. One says, fear God and give him glory. Another one says, Babylon the great has fallen. And the third one says, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will drink of the wine of God's wrath. So this trio brings good news, bad news, and ugly news. The good, the bad, the ugly. These are these angelic announcers. Then uh, verse 7. And this one is, I, I, I have to tell you, I don't know that I'd ever noticed this before. And that is the people of the harvest. At the end of chapter 14, he talks about those who are... Uh, who are at the uh, are at the end? A harvest takes place, and these are the people that are there now. Jesus talked to, to us about the harvest, and he talked to us about the harvest at the end times. He did that in Matthew chapter thirteen. That's that sermon on the plain I mentioned earlier, and I want to read an excerpt from Jesus' teachings with regards to this group. Now, you know what a harvest is, right? That's, the, that's that which is gathered up after the, the grain has grown and it's, uh, it's cut off. And the, the harvest is all the things that are gleaned from that. If it's a wheat, it's the wheat germ, wheat seed. Uh, if it's a tomato plant, it's the tomatoes you pick off. That's the harvest, all right? Here's what Jesus has to say about the harvest. Verse uh, chapter 13, verse 37. He who sows the good seed is the son of man. This is talking, by the way, to, to set this up. This harvest is a harvest field that has both wheat and weeds, tares growing together. Okay? And the, the servants come to, the, come to him and say, the wheat's up good, but so are the tares. You want us to go out and weed the garden. Pull up the weeds. And he said, if you do that, you'll pull up the Tears, the tears will pull up the wheat as well. Let them grow together. And in the last day, things will be sorted out. Here's what Jesus says. He who sows the good seed, the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. <clears throat> the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness <coughs> and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's what Jesus talks about the people of the harvest. In this lat, toward the end of this tribulation period, there's going to be a harvest. The sickle's going to go through and cut down everything. Some's going to be burned and destroyed. You, I believe this to be true. The, the, the primary purpose in Jesus coming to this earth, taking on human flesh, enduring the cross was so that the harvest could be of grain and not of weed, weeds. I think he wanted to minimize the tares as much as possible. That's why he is being patient with us even today. Why he has not returned yet. I believe that there are still some that are yet to be saved. And Jesus is doing everything he can to save them. But some people won't. And so I think that of, of all the harvests, of all the things of the, of the tribulation, this group, these persons who are the people of the harvest, 
break the heart of God more than anything. The ones who could have been saved, who might have been saved, but were unwilling to respond. Revelation teaches us during this tribulation these five these seven characters that are going to play a part. Then the Bible tells us after uh, when it's as we close or come to the end of the tribulation period that the battle of Armageddon you've heard of that the battle of Armageddon is going to be the crescendo to the tribulation this is what it's all leading up to and it tells us that it, that there's going to be a gathering of all the forces of evil that are being lined up um, by the dragon and the beast and the false prophet and all those that are on that are to fight against and to destroy Israel, they're going to gather together at a valley called Megiddo. And there is going to be, according to Daniel's prophecy, there will be 200 million troops, armed forces out there to do battle. That, that's a pretty good-sized army. That, those are the armies of the world, and the kings of the world are going to gather to do battle at Megiddo. And this is when it's all getting ready to break loose. This is the crescendo. And then the seventh thing that I want you to see is that the return of Jesus comes there at that battle. And it is, it is the conclusion of the tribulation period. And even more importantly is the victory of Jesus in the tribulation. The Bible tells us that when he comes, he'll come riding a white horse. And I, I want you to see what John saw when he had a vision of this return of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19.11 <clears throat> says, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on the white horse was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's me. That's you. He's going to come and gather us and we'll be with him during this tribulation period. And when, we, when he comes, we are coming as his, as his army. And we're, we're not coming in camouflage. We're coming in white as he is in one. And he says, he says that the armies of heaven will follow him on white horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that he should strike the nations. And he himself shall rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the, the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of God Almighty. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name that is written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I saw the beast, he says. The kings of the earth, their armies, gathered together to make war against him, who sat on the horse and against his army, and the beast was captured. The beast, that's the Antichrist, was captured. And with him, the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire that burns with brimstone. You know what that's called? Victory. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. That's how the tribulation ends. Not a pleasant sight. Not a pleasant thought unless you're seeing it from God's perspective. In God's perspective, he's saying, my son who hung in that, on that cruel cross has now redeemed mankind. Amen. 
everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ is, a, is redeemed the exact same way through what Jesus Christ did for them. But he wants you to know that the end of days and the very final day of this earth, well, uh, of the tribulation, Jesus will return and he will finally gain the victory. And because he gained the victory, guess who else gets the victory? We do. We who are followers of Jesus Christ. That's the story of the tribulation. <clears throat> That's the story of the end times. That's the story that Jesus told of how it would end. And he's sticking to his story. He's not changing it. Not because it gets gory or because it's unpleasant or unfair. Because this is what God has ordained and established. And it will happen exactly as God has ordained and established it. I want to, uh, I want to close my time this morning uh, by reliving the story of Revelation. Because Revelation, as I mentioned a moment ago, isn't just a revelation of things to come. It's a revelation of the one to come. And throughout its pages, you see Jesus in various ways. In, uh, in chapter 1, Jesus is called the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is and was and is to come. Chapter 5, Jesus is the Almighty, the only one worthy to open the scroll. He's the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, and the Lamb who was slain. Chapter 6, he's the one who issues us white robes. Chapter 7, he's the sealer of his people. In chapter 11, Jesus is the Messiah. In chapter 12, he's the defender of the brethren. In chapter 13, he's the one who writes our names in the book of life. Chapter 14, he's the one whose name we write on our foreheads. <clears throat> he's the son of man, seated on clouds of glory, and he's the judge of all the earth. In chapter 15, he's the one we sing to, the Lord God Almighty, king of the nations, and the one all the nations will come and worship. In chapter 16, he's the one who is coming like a thief with lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. In chapter 19, he is the lamb whose marriage feast is about to begin. He's the rider on the white horse. He's the faithful and true. He is the judge who makes war with, with justice. He's the leader of the armies of God, and he's the one on whom is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Friends, the day of the tribulation will be days of great distress, unequal in all the world till now. But over us all, and in us all who have received him, is this Jesus, who is so much more. The question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him even into the tribulation and beyond? Will you trust him? That's what the message of the second coming is about. <coughs> Jesus is returning. <coughs> Not just to set the record straight and right the wrongs, but Jesus is coming for me. He's coming to get me. He's coming to get you. What part of the harvest are you going to be? The wheat or the tares? I want you to bow your head with me if you will, please. Father, today as we have focused on what you've revealed to us about your son, the conquering warrior, the eternal king, the redeemer, the Messiah, the deliverer, the protector, and the sealer of our faith. Father, thank you that you've revealed to us who Jesus is. Because, Father, you've also revealed what the tribulation is. And it's our desire that we be 
protected, that we be delivered through it and from it. And so today, Father, we just want to put our trust and our faith in Jesus. We want to make a decision here and now that we are ready to follow Jesus. So, Father, I pray that in these next few moments as we just share this song together, it would be a time where we would make a commitment to be followers of the King. Have your way, Father, in our lives as we, as we sing together. In Jesus' name, amen.